Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. I was, I was saying hi to people. I thought that's what we were doing. You guys, all of a sudden, you're like real quiet, and you're like, and I'm, I look over and like, I probably should go preach. That's probably what I should do. You know, this time of year, there's so many things for me uh, that I just, I love. I, I love. If you hadn't heard, we delivered 1,400 meals on, uh, th- for Thanksgiving. And when I say we, I get to say we because that was all the vineyards in the valley. There's five vineyards in the valley, and uh, we all met at Canyon View. We all took food out. All of the turkeys and everything, we had enough food for everybody, and they delivered 1,400 meals. And then I heard that the Give Thanks worship night was off the charts. I heard that was great. If you were there, I heard that was great. And so you just look up, and you look up, and one of the things I love about the vineyard is, like, we do so many things together. So we have five different vineyard churches in the valley. We are friends. We are family. And so all kinds of things happen this time of year. And then I love that our church, our church personally, um, I don't know if you guys realize this, but as a church, like, we're doing, we're serving all the time. One of my favorite things we do is going to be the Christmas gifts. Um, we're, we're adopting the kids at Chapita Elementary. Linnea just told you about it. It's one of my favorite things. And the reason it is is because, like, those kids don't come to our church. They're, they're just kids in our valley. But yet they get to experience the love of Jesus through our church. And I think that's amazing. And there's not really that many times a year where you just pick somebody you don't know and you just go, I'm going to bless this kid. And so if you haven't done that, I'm encouraging you to do that. Lene and I do it every year. We, we love that. Um, one other thing that I'm kind of excited about, we got a whole bunch of things I'm excited about. Um, I won't spend too much time on the things I'm excited about because I'm pretty easily excited. Like it doesn't take much to encourage me. i like, yeah, let's do it. But we've got, uh, we've got Clint, I think Clint's upstairs, and Clint is going to be starting a men's group that's going to start this Tuesday at Base Camp Brewery over here by American Furniture Warehouse, 5.30, and just a bunch of guys that are going to get together. We're working really hard this year to help connect groups of, of, of men, women, children. We're really working hard on groups. And so this will be our third men's Bible study that's launched in the past month and a half, and so we've got... That'll be Tuesday, Wednesday morning. We have one that's downstairs in the basement, and uh, those guys get together every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m., and then I have a group that meets for breakfast on Thursdays, and we're starting to just see this thing go, hey, we want to we help connect you to other guys. We want to help you connect the ladies to other ladies, and so you're going to see that. In January, I'm going to start a new series, and I think I'm going to probably do it all year long. I think we're going to go through the entire book of Genesis. And we're just going to work our way through the book of Genesis. You know, the the book of Genesis is really this book that literally is the foundation of how men and women and people were meant to walk with God. And in the middle of that relationship, we walked away from God. And so then the story moves from how we're supposed to walk with God to this story of how God tries to redeem our relationship with him and says, hey, here's how you walk with me. And so we're going to spend the, uh, the year of, 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 of next year uh, in the book of Genesis. There's 50 chapters. I think I could probably spend, uh, you know, three years in it. Um, I'm not going to. 
But we are going to spend most of the year in the book of Genesis, and I think that'll be kind of fun. So, lot, lots going on. You ready to finish this today? All right, we're going to finish this talk today. This is uh, the series that we called Fulfill. We're called Fool. And there's this, there's this place, and where this came for me, this particular series, and then I'm going to pray in just a second. Um, where this came for me was in John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Right? And then he goes on to say, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so there's this promise in Scripture, and it's, it's, Jesus gives us this promise that as Christians, we're supposed to have this life that's just full of good things. It's supposed to be full of good things. And so we come into this, this particular time of year, and it's interesting that we, we just we finished what we call Thanksgiving, because we're supposed to be people who are full of thankfulness, right? And so we started that out, and we said, we said what does a life look like <clears throat> for somebody who's full of thankfulness, who's full of thankfulness? And then we said, what does it look like to be full of gratefulness? And how, how do you live a life where you're just full of gratitude, where you just you, you look up and you, you're full of gratitude? And, and so then we said, what would it be like to be hopeful? And today we're going to talk about what would it like, be like to have a life that you live where you literally say, I am full, <coughs> I am fulfilled with the things God has given me. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we love you. Lord, as we finish this particular series today, that we had finished it, we just saying, thank you, Lord, that you have given, come that we might have life and have it to the full. Thank you for the things you've given us. We love you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's my questions. What is your life currently full of? We uh, watched my granddaughter this weekend, and we just call her, her nickname is called Busy. <laughs> Little Miss Busy. Man, she just doesn't stop. She's busy, 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 busy. And uh, we were, it was four against one. My, my son was in town. My daughter-in-law was in town. Lene and I were there. And she still destroyed the house. We couldn't keep up. Like, it just, we just couldn't keep up. Every time we turned around, she was, like, taking something else out. And it, you know, like, the whole time, she just destroys things. And so right now, they're in this life of busyness of taking care of kids. <clears throat> What's your life full of? Is your life full of the things you love? You literally just got done spending Thanksgiving with people, maybe, probably, did you spend it with people you love? Or did you spend it with people that you were glad they were going home? Today, you're in church and you're saying, I'm thankful because they all went home. You know? Like literally, there's this moment where you look up and you're like, what is my life full of? Have you ever done that? Like just examined your life and said, is it, what, what's it full of? We all fill our lives full of things. As a matter of fact, most people <coughs> have garages that they can't even park in. Because they're just full of stuff. You know, my wife, she has a lot of clothes. She, has, she needs two closets. <clears throat> and she's trying to get my side of the closet as we speak. Like, she's like, hey, you, uh, you thinking about moving out of our closet? Like, 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 I don't think you need that much space. I think I could, I think I could use that space a little better than you. <laughs> she has a lot of great clothes. We, we, we tease and joke, and I'm like, you could go a whole year and not wear the same outfit twice. That's not true. Uh, she could go part of the year and not wear the same outfit twice. 
Is it full of the things you wish it was full of? Or would you say this morning, maybe if we're really honest, you might go, I just feel like my life's full of chaos. Like we live in a really busy society. And it just feels like that just goes and goes and goes and goes. There's times for Lene and I where it's like, man, like what is going on? We just wake up, go to work, stay out, work, 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 come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Just work, go to bed, work, go to bed, work, go to bed. Sometimes it feels like life is full of chaos. It's like you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to like just get, get your hands on it a little bit and say, Lord, would you give me just like, just give me a little bit of a break. Or... Is it full of what we've been talking about this month? Is it full of thankfulness? Where you literally are going, Lord, thank you. Thank you that the, the, the life I have, I could never have even dreamed of this life. Is it full of gratitude and full of faithfulness? What are you full of? Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be in just a minute. We're going to finish the book of Philippians. And Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he literally is talking about contentment. That's what Philippians chapter 4 is about. It's about contentment. And Paul is going to tell us, in just a second, Paul's going to tell us that the secret to life is trusting the Lord and being content with the life he's given you. The secret to life is trusting God and living, living with contentment. The interesting part is, it's not hard to, it's, it's not easy to live with contentment. And so we're going to talk about five ways to live with contentment. Here's what Philippians chapter 4 says. I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 6. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you, and I long to see you, dear friends. You are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. I love this passage. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach, with plenty, or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulties. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I was brought, when I brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in, was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. 
I love this. I'm going to pause for a second. So Paul's writing to this church of, of, of Philippi, and this church of Philippi is helpful. They love serving. They love helping. And Paul's in this state where he's planted five churches at this point. He's, he's planted five different churches. And out of those five different churches, the church that he looks back and says, that church is helpful, is the church of Philippi. And as a pastor, you need to know that's the reputation I want for our church. I want our church to be a generous church. I want our church to be the type of church that when people talk about churches that help in this valley, that they mention, they mention DTV and say, man, you know that church downtown? They do a lot of good in this community. That's always been my desire. And that's why I love it when we come into these holidays and we get to stand up and say, hey, you know, as a whole bunch of vineyard churches, we fed 1,400 people this weekend. That's amazing. Hey, as a church, we're going to adopt uh, 70 kids this year. Like, that's amazing. And so when we look back and we say, what type of church do we want to be? We want to be this type of church. He goes on to say, no other churches did this. Even when I was with Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want to receive a reward. I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At this moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me when you sent um, your Phaedias. They are sweet-smelling sacrifices that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about five ways Five ways to practice contentment. Because it's interesting when you come into this holiday season, how easy it is when people are always asking you, hey, what do you want? What do you need? What do you want? What do you need? All of a sudden, you didn't even know you needed anything. And then pretty soon you're like, well, I think I need this. I think I need a new shotgun. I thought I'd get amens from men at that point. I thought I'd hear women go, boo. But I thought I'd hear men go, amen, amen, sweetheart, amen, amen, that's what I need. But there's all of these things that all of a sudden, and then we live in a society that is so good at helping us feel discontent. You ever buy a car, and then like a month later, you're looking, and somebody else comes up in another car, and you're like, oh, I should have bought that one. Like, right? Like, like. It's so easy to get discontent in this world. And so here, here's the first, the first way to stay content. The first way is just simply this. Paul says, don't compare yourself to others. You know, if, if you are struggling with contentment, the number one thing that you often do is you compare yourself to somebody else's situation. It's hard to be content when you're comparing yourself to others. You know what I mean? Do you know how many issues arrive when you look scripturally do you know how many issues arrive in the bible because people compare themselves to others adam and eve all of a sudden they find themselves talking with a snake which is first a weird weird thing like right like if you ever have find yourself having a conversation with an animal and that animal talks back to you you should run that's super weird like, but Adam and Eve, they were new. They were new to the scene. They didn't know that animals weren't supposed to talk back to them. And so Eve's literally having a conversation with a snake. And all of a sudden, the snake begins to say, did God really say that? Like, really, why would God keep that from you? And so all of a sudden, 
Eve starts comparing what God told her to what this snake is telling her, and all of a sudden she went from being content to discontent just like that. The fall of mankind is built upon the idea that Eve began to question what God was telling her, which meant she had this discontentment in her life. Like, really? You mean I don't really have everything I want? I don't have everything I need? And then she passed that on to her kids. Her, her two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel because Cain couldn't live up to the standard that Abel was set. That Abel had this standard where he, he, just, he had this relationship with God and, and that, that Cain often felt like his relationship with God wasn't as good. And he was discontent. And so all of a sudden, when he compared himself, he wasn't comparing himself to God and to the standards of God. He started comparing himself to his brother. Do you know how many fights happen around Thanksgiving because this brother doesn't want to go to that brother's house because really what's going on is there's this comparison that's going on inside the family where they wanted this brother to be like that brother for years. And now all of a sudden it's Thanksgiving time and we're all supposed to get along. We're all supposed to show up and act like everything is good. And now you're heading to somebody's house and you're not exactly sure how that's going to go because actually the family's not as good as it's supposed to be because we have a ton of comparison that's gone on inside of homes for years. Comparison is the thief of joy, is what Theodore Roosevelt said. Comparison is the thief of joy, is what Theodore Roosevelt said. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes you, you compare your kids to somebody else's kids. Like, if your kids are good, then you're like, oh yeah, no, no, my kids are awesome. But if you've ever raised a child that's maybe a little more wild than you want them to be, if you've ever raised a child that's a little more wild than you want them to be, then you automatically start comparing them to kids that aren't wild. All right, so it's going to get real personal this morning. You're going to get real quiet. Maybe you are the wild child, and you know, you know, you know your parents are like, oh, if you were just like your brother, Right? And then there's this thing that happens when you sit under comparison because now you're trying to be somebody else. Or maybe you rebel against that whole thing. And when Theodore Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy, you realize that how much comparison robs you of who you were meant to be and it robs your family of who you were created to be and it robs, like, just... It robs all the joy out of relationships. Like comparison. Comparison is a competition that has no winners. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Like, it's this moment for Paul where he's writing the church of, of Philippi, and he's saying, I'm not comparing you to any other church. I'm not comparing you to anybody else. Just pause and thank God for everything he's done. Pray about everything. He says, then you will experience the peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying the first key to the first key to contentment 
is learning how to thank God for what he's given you. Like, get your eyes on your own paper. I can remember I was in third grade, and I was sitting at my desk. We lived in Price, Utah at the time, and, and I was kind of the new kid in class. And it was my very first day of class, and all of a sudden I sit down, and the teacher gives us a test. It's my first day in class. I know nothing about what, we've been teach, what she's been teaching. And all of a sudden, I look over at this kid's paper next to me. And I can just remember my teacher saying, hey, Paul, you don't have to worry about this. Just keep your eyes on your own paper. You'll be okay. That little statement right there has stuck with me my whole life. When I come into a moment where I'm not exactly sure what's going on, I, don't, I, I try really hard not to look at what other people are doing. Just keep your eyes on your own paper. You'll be okay. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone. Like, you just keep your eyes on your own paper. Don't compare yourself to others. Here's the second thing to life, uh, to contentment. Train yourself to think about the good things in your life. Have you ever practiced that? Practice the, the attitude of gratitude? We talked about this last week. Where you just pause them. Where you just pause for a moment. And you think about the good things in your life. It's interesting that most people spend more time thinking about their problems than they do their blessings. You're right? Like, it's interesting. You can have something happen that's really, really good, and, and somebody will say, hey, man, that was great. I'm so, that's so amazing. And you're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. And then five minutes later, you're thinking about, oh, geez, the problems you have. Why do we spend more time spending our, time, our energy thinking about the bad news versus the good news? Why is it easier? Why does gossip travel faster than good news? You ever notice that? Like gossip travels faster than good news. It's easier to think about your problems than your blessing. Everyone knows, <coughs> everyone knows this. You become what you focus on. Even B.I.G., the, the rapper, I just quoted a rapper. <laughs> the notorious B.I.G., I'm not even exactly sure who that is. Some of, somebody will bring me a picture after a while. Sean, you'll hook me up, Right? You'll hook me up because you're the epitome of rap music in our church. You're it. You're it. That, the rapster right there. He says, mo money, mo money, mo money, mo. Oh, like five people knew who B.I.G. was. We're going to introduce you. Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to say mo money, mo money, mo money. You're going to say mo problems. Ready? Mo money, mo money, mo money. Yeah, the notorious B.I.G. Our church just quoted him. And Jesus in the same service. <laughs> have you ever noticed if you focus on your problems, you have more problems? Have you ever noticed that? If you focus on your problems, it focuses on more problems. When you focus on what you don't have, you begin to realize how much you don't have. And the interesting, pro interesting part is this is that when you focus on your blessings, you'll find blessings at every corner. If you focus on your blessings, you find more blessings. Whatever you focus on is what all, all of a sudden what happens in your life. If you focus on your blessings, you have more blessings. And so Paul is literally, he's in jail. He's writing to the church of Philippi, and he's saying, don't you know how much when I think of you I count my blessings? He doesn't say, I'm sitting in jail, and the more I think of you, the more I count my problems. 
The more I sit here in this jail, I, I think about, I'm sitting in jail and you guys have it so good and you're barely supporting me. That's not what he said. He says, I sit in this jail, a slave for the gospel. A slave for the gospel. And when I think about things, I think about you. And I think about how good you've been to me. And I think about what a blessing you are to me. And I think about how lucky I am to have you in my life. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true, what's honorable, and what's right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let me just pause for a second. What are your thoughts fixed on? This morning, during this season of your life, what do you spend your energy thinking about? Is it your problems or your blessings? Because whatever you spend your energy thinking about, you will have more of. What are you focused on right now? When you got up and you woke up and you got ready for church, what are you focused on? You see, here's the third component, the component of contentment. Is that, that we are called, like, so we're called to, to focus on blessings. And the third component is this, is that to be generous and look for opportunities to help others. You see, when you focus on your blessings, you begin to realize how blessed you are. Like when you focus on your blessings, you begin to realize how blessed you are. And when you begin to realize how blessed you are, the natural outpour of blessings is to be generous and to be able to look for opportunities to help others. This is why I love being a part of vineyard churches. We truly believe we are the luckiest people in the valley. Like the Lord has blessed us and we get to be a blessing to others. Paul was so grateful to the church of Philippi and how they helped him. He, he wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. He said, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned with me. Everyone knows that being generous and helpful is the life that we live when we're content. A person who's content will always be generous. Do you know that? that? That generosity is an outflow of contentment. You want, you want to know what contentment looks like? Look for someone who's generous. And they, you, can't be, you can't be generous if you're not content. Because if you're not, gener if you're not content, you'll feel like you don't have enough. And so when you are content, the outflow of contentment is generosity. That generous people are people who know that God's blessed them and they're content. There's a, a Chinese proverb, and it says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. Dude, those guys are smart. <laughs> he says, if you want happiness for a day, did Vivian just say thank you? Yes. She did. <laughs> You're welcome. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. Amen, men. Amen. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. 
Amen. <laughs> We're like, I'm, I want to try that. That's what I want to try. Is if you want happy for a lifetime, learn to help somebody. Learn to help people. That contentment and the outflow of contentment is generosity. St. Francis of Assisi said, For it is in giving that we receive. Like, there is nothing more powerful than, than helping people and you walking away just going, you know what, that felt great. Leo Tolstoy, the Russian author, said the sole meaning of life is to serve. You know what's interesting about that story? I don't know if you know the story of Leo Tolstoy. He's the greatest author of his time. He wrote War and Peace. He wrote many other great novels. And at the point in time when Leo Tolstoy hits his, the, his fame and fortune, he's unbelievably miserable and he's suicidal. He's so suicidal that in his writings, he says, I could not be left alone for a moment because if I was left alone too long, he says, it was just so possible that I would take my life. And finally, he went to a priest and he said, I need you to help me. He was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. He said, I need something. Can you help me? And so the, the priest says, yes, but you've got to be willing to do what I tell you to do. He said, I'll do anything. And so he took Leo Tolstoy, and for one year, he put him in an impoverished camp where he did nothing but serve. He served the poorest of the poor in Russia for a year. And in serving the poor, he began to recognize the blessings that God had given him. And he gave his life to Jesus. And Leo Tolstoy dies a fanatical believer in Jesus many years later. And he will tell you, he will, you'll read his writings. In his writings, he says that it was in serving others that he saved his life. That the greatest blessing you can have in this life is to have the contentment and generosity that you serve others. Winston Churchill, he said it this way. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Helping others, Time Magazine, and studying for this, I came across uh, an article from Time Magazine. It said, helping others may be the secret to living a life that is not only happier, but healthier, and definitely more meaningful. If you want to be content, Look for opportunities to serve others. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing to contentment. The fourth way to practice contentment is to learn to live within your means. It is interesting while studying for this talk, I came across this study that they interviewed. Uh, they interviewed a thousand people that made on average about $27,000 a year. That's not a lot of money. But they made $27,000 a year. And they asked the question, what would it take for you to be more content? The average answer was if I just made $54,000. $54,000. If I just had double what I have now, then I would learn to be content. And so they decided that they would continue the study. And so what they did is they asked people who made $100,000 what it would take for somebody that makes $100,000 to be content. And they said, if we just made $180,000, we'd learn to be content. 
You see, contentment is this idea, if I just had a little more of what I already have. And the, the, the truth is, um, contentment doesn't come from having more. Contentment comes from having your eyes on the more that God has already given you. John D. Rockefeller, when he died, he died in 1937. And just before he died, he was literally the wealthiest man that America has ever seen, for the, not just his time, but if you were to take his, his day in history right now, he would be worth about $410 billion. He, he carried 1.5% of all of um, the GDP in America. $410 billion. And they asked him, they said, John, you're already the wealthiest man on the planet. What will it take for you to be happy in life? Like, what does it take? And he said, how much money would it take? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Contentment doesn't come from having more. Contentment comes from being more faithful with what you have. Have you been faithful with what God has given you? Paul writes, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. Contentment comes when you learn to live within your means. Here's the last thing as we close this series on fulfillment. The final one is this that we learn to recognize how God has blessed us. Like, I don't know what you're going through today, I, I, but I do know this. I sit with so many of you each week, and I hear your stories each week. Not everybody in this life has the life that they want. Not everybody in this room has the life that they want. You're like, I'm not going to pretend like your life is really easy. It's not. Life is hard. Jesus says in John, he says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome your trouble. You see, the key to contentment is recognizing how God has blessed you. It doesn't mean that life is easy, but when one can draw back and say, in spite of everything, I can recognize how God has blessed me. Do you have health this morning? Thank God. Do you have a home this, mo- this morning? Thank God. Do you have a car? Thank God. Do you have a job? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you have people who love you? Do you have friends? Do you have family? St. Lawrence, the deacon, he wrote this story. The prefect of Rome was a greedy pagan man. He thought the church had a great fortune hidden away. So he ordered Lawrence to bring the church's treasure to him. The saint said he would. He just needed three days to collect the church's treasure. And then he went through the city And he gathered all the poor, and he gathered all the sick, and he delivered them 
to the prefect of Rome. And when he showed them to the prefect of Rome, he said, you do understand this is the church's treasure. The treasure is in its people. In great anger, the prefect condemned Sir Lawrence to death. Paul writes in verse 19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the gift to the church. Jesus is the gift to you. Jesus is the gift for the season. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the gift that the church receives. And we are best when we give it back to the world that we live in. Have you recognized the gift? Have you recognized how God has blessed you? You know what makes me the happiest as a pastor? When I see our church caring for the world around them. When I see our church living in contentment, living in generosity, that we're not comparing ourselves to others, we're, we're not looking at the difficulties we have, but our eyes are focused on the good blessings that God has given us. That when we look for opportunities to help and opportunities to serve, when we know how to live within our means so that we can be a blessing to our community, and then we recognize God's blessings on us. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And then I'm going to invite, as our worship team comes up, I'm going to invite us to stand, and, and I'm going to invite our ministry team to come forward. But I know that this is a time for seasons of thankfulness, but I also know that it's a time sometimes for seasons to go, Lord, I need you. And so whatever you're going through right now, whether it's gratitude or it literally is, Lord, I need more of you. That we're going to invite you to come down, and we're going to invite you to get prayer. Maybe you come down and just say, hey, I'm just coming down to, um, to just connect with somebody and just say, thank you, Lord, for your blessings that you have in my life. And we just give thanks together. But are you fulfilled? Do you have the life that God's called you to? What are your eyes focused on? What are you focusing on? What are your thoughts focused on? Paul encourages us to fix our eyes on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are worthy of praise. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.